Today is Sunday, January 8th, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on the show today, Larry H. Russell. Still way around, man. Still way around. Wait. This is Celtics Beat. It's Sunday morning. But we're on CLNS Radio, which you're also on, and I am in, Coach Nick. Oh, for, forgive me. You know what? When it's this early on a weekend, I can't figure out which, which way is up. So I got a little excited. Forgive me, Larry. But, yeah, but it's your show. You get to drive. It's very early for you. It's early for me. I know it's very early for you on the West Coast. But as I stated, I'm in. It's Coach Nick from CLNS Radio and B-Ball Breakdown. And it's episode number 191 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron and Audible. Go to audible.com slash try now for a free audio book alongside a 30-day trial period. So, yes, here we are. Coach Nick, thank you so much for being here. I can be polite now on this Sunday morning. <laughs> I, I expect nothing less. The long-awaited Celtics breakdown is going to be released on the B-Ball Breakdown YouTube channel later today on this Sunday. Of course, you're here. We're going to be talking about that and then some more than about that. Do you mind just giving a quick overview before we really dive into this of you know the timeline, the chronological—excuse me—the chronological order of the games that you did look at, or any just sort of general thoughts before we really dive into this to let the audience know about what you did and what's coming up on your YouTube channel. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, when I look at games and clips, I don't actually look at games per se. I just dive into the clips, and I'm looking at, you know, pick and roll for across multiple games, right? So I'm just trying to get a whole sense of what's happening over a period of time, and, you know, that then all of a sudden that thing, what gets filtered into is is the lineups, and, like, who is he playing with whom, and, you know, one guy who might be a terrible defender with one group of players could be really good with another, and it becomes a rabbit hole pretty quickly, but... Um, um, at some point, if you can get out of that, uh, out of the weeds, you can start to sense that there are some patterns here that I suspect the coaching staff is seeing, I would hope, um, and that certainly I'm seeing, that, you know, unless I'm completely off base. But, you know, you get you get a handle on it after enough time and, you know, hundreds of clips. Uh, and that's what I did. I dug in and I, and I kind of look at the defense mostly because obviously that's what they're struggling with the most. Uh, you sent me a text. I want to say it was Thursday night that you said that you cracked the Da Vinci code when it has come to the Celtics defense. I just We know it got off to that wretched start. It's moved up the ladder, but slightly they still show a lot of signs of struggling. So here, you got the floor now, Coach Nick. I know it's going to be on your YouTube channel, but we're all here right now, so let's get that answer. All right. Well, I mean, here's what the thing is. It was a few days ago, and I got so excited, and I texted you, and I, I got to check my notes to make sure I got exactly what I wanted to say from then. But here's the thing that really made me, um, you know, confused, which is when you have guys like Crowder, Bradley, and Smart on the floor together, uh, those should be really good defensive units. And then I thought, okay, if you have Horford as a fourth there, then for sure it almost doesn't matter, um, you know, whether or not the fifth player is Isaiah, for instance. Those should be pretty good defensive, you know, ratings. However, they're not. When you play Crowder, Bradley, Smart, Horford with Isaiah, the defensive rating is 129.4. It's horrible. I mean, that's as low as you could almost possibly get. And it's the third most played lineup that they have out there. 
So it's a real problem. And I think what we're looking at here is that Brad Stevens must be like, you know, must have thought, okay, this will be a really good lineup for us to start the season. It seems like it's got a little of everything. And yet he's not, it's something, it's a real problem. So if you take Isaiah out of that and you play them with like Amir Johnson, let's say, it goes down to 114, which is still really not good at all. Um, if you look at just the four man lineup without Isaiah, when Isaiah's on the bench, and you can do this with NBA Wowie, which is a really fun website. You can kind of mix and match players. Okay, so when you play those four guys without Isaiah, it goes down to 103.4. So finally we're seeing something here that has evidence that Isaiah Thomas seems to weigh them down. And it's not a little bit. It's you know a 26-point swing when he's on the floor with those four guys versus when he's on the bench and with anybody else with them. So it's a problem. How are teams exploiting Thomas's defense like this? Then just just the simple fact that he's just five nine. That's it. You know, I, it kind of is. I, I hate to say that that's simply it. Um, you know, I've seen some instances where they will run a pick and roll with a bigger guy, and they have to switch. And now Isaiah is guarding even a bigger guy, and there's just simply nothing he can do. It's not about effort. I, I like what Isaiah does for the most part out there on defense. Uh, he does seem to rotate, and their whole team seems to have a nice sense of defensive rotations and energy. Uh, but you're right. When you're 5'9", five, 5'10", five, there just simply isn't anything you can do when you're trying to put a hand up against a guy who's 6'3", or 6'4", and it's, it's never going to change. You can only hope it misses, and it does sometimes. But I have to tell you, it doesn't look that way, and I guess I could dive into even more clips to really see if I can figure it out, but... Uh, it doesn't look like they're completely going after Isaiah and like isoing and just taking him down down low every time. So it's still a bit of a conundrum. Is there anything Isaiah could do? I've made suggestions in that maybe he should play the Allen Iverson defense gamble in the passing lanes. I, I would like to ask a basketball coach, Coach Nick, but do you sort of have any suggestions in, in, in what Thomas can do to really make an impact on the defensive end of the floor or at least rectify some of these issues that the Celts have? Well, if you remember when Iverson played, he could afford to do that because he had some decent big men back there. I mean, he had Matumbo one year, and even though it was toward the end of his career, yeah, uh, he was okay. Theo Ratliff, and, and the, the whole, you're right, yeah, I, that is a bad comparison because it wasn't just Matumbo and Ratliff, and he had players pretty much, the rest of the guys on the roster were all defensive guys. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, but by the way, in that lineup with the other guys, it's a, it's equivalent as far as defensive players, but they're not like the shot-blocking kind of defensive players that would help on that. So, you know, and, and I, I sense that it would go completely against Brad Stevens' philosophy on defense, which is, you know, you don't want to be gambling getting out of position that much. Um, so, you know, there, there's a notion of outscoring the other team, <laughs> you know, that's always going to have to be on the table when you have him out there. Um, but, you know, there isn't a lot of solutions. You know, you can hope that he can contain, get a hand up, force more long twos than anything else, um, and hope they don't really go down. Now, in the playoffs, what you'll probably see when teams are prepared is, yeah, you'll see a lot more post-ups against him. And it does. It, sometimes it works against the other team because they'll post up a guard that never posts up normally, and that's all foreign territory for a team that's playing in the pressure of the playoffs. However, there are going to be some times when there, are, there will be guards he's guarding that are used to that. The team is used to getting him down there, and it will be a problem. And uh, obviously the next step there is, is they're going to have to figure out the better ways to double-team and rotate, which is another issue. I know you looked at this, and I've been talking about this for a long time, ever since Jack Armstrong came on this show at the beginning of December, right after the Toronto game. Now, Toronto's guards for the past two and a half years, give or take, 
DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry have pretty much had their way with the Celtics, and sometimes it even goes to, you know, Corey Joseph's had some good games. Uh, Norman Powell's had, had a really good game against there's, there's something that Toronto just knows about the Celtics. I just, I don't know what it is, and God forbid, the Celtics' next game coming up. The Toronto Raptors on Tuesday, but anyway, you know, Jack comes on this show, and this is something that we've talked about over the last few weeks, and it's his comments about the Celtics being too aggressive and, and blitzing too much. And, you know, early on in the game, it's an issue, but good players can get adjusted throughout the game and, and play on the Celts over switching and fouling too much. Is there anything to that? And a quick little follow-up, Nick, is, is there really anything to opposing guards or the top guards in the league having some pretty big games against the Celtics, be it Westbrook, Harden, and you know, down the line right off the top of my head, I can't remember, Derek Rose on Christmas, etc. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, I went through and looked at a lot of those games or tried to get a handle on what was going on. A lot of them seem to be early in the season, um, which could just be chalked up to, you know, everyone's just getting comfortable with everything. Um, and, you know, I got to say, when I'm looking at a lot of the, the, a lot of the shots they're making, uh, you know, they're not like straight line drive layups to the basket. They're, they kind of get hot, you know, um, and, and there's a hand in the face and they kind of score and you kind of have to just tip your cap and shrug and try next time. So, you know, I would think overall the, the, the basic defense is sound and the, you know, the, 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 the philosophy is there where they don't want a lot of middle penetration. They want to get a hand up. Um, you know, I, I got to study more. I honestly didn't see a ton of like blitzing on the pick and rolls. Uh, and maybe they changed that recently where they're not doing it as much um, because of that, because they're worried about it. So to me, it looks like it, it, and I know we've seen an uptick in their defensive rating so, somewhat recently a little bit. Um, am, am I correct in saying that? Level of competition has a lot to do with that uh, too. But yes, you are correct. Certainly since the beginning of the year when they were Almost at last at beef. They were like 25th yeah. at one time. Okay, the so they moved games. up like five spots or whatever, yeah. and, they, and there's still room to move up. And I, I have to imagine that this is mostly a matter of lineups. And I think that, um, you know, they have the they have the pieces to be a very good defensive team, like top 12, I would say. Uh, I just think that the issue here is that Brad Stevens hasn't figured out the correct five to play with each other for the longest stretches. And it's weird because, uh, you know, what would seem to be uh, clear uh, in in that regard hasn't been. And I'm sure that that's what that's the big thing is they're going to have to kind of scramble. And we've seen that with their lineups. You notice they haven't they stopped playing Zeller for the most part. Um, And now that Olympic is back, I think that's going to be a big thing. And I have some interesting ideas about that in, in Horford. Okay, well then please get into said interesting ideas. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, um, Horford is not really the player he was, even though the player he was was never like a crazy athlete moving around laterally and all that stuff. But uh, it, it's an issue, and I thought for sure it wasn't. I've seen plenty of effort by Horford. He knows where he's supposed to go. He tries to get there. He just can't. He's not really the rim protector anymore. If he's part of a pick and roll and the guard gets going, like he can't, it's just not his thing where he's going to block that shot or really contest it well enough. And I've seen enough of those where, you know, you're looking at it going, geez, Amir Johnson is better at that. And he he is a much better, like maybe the communicator. Like I like Amir Johnson out there. He's always talking, he's pointing, he's trying to help guys get in the right positions on defense as far as what I see. And um, what I also thought that was really fascinating was that when they they don't ever play uh, Crowder, Bradley, Smart, and Thomas with Amir Johnson, you know, the starters – uh, or I'm sorry, the, the the big four I call them of the, the defensive thing at least with um, and then Isaiah with uh, with Johnson. They played Crowder, Bradley Smart, uh, and Isaiah with Horford a ton, but they don't do it with 
Amir Johnson, and that's a weird thing to me. I don't know why or how that's happened, but it's hardly any minutes this year. And I would like to see more of that to start because, again, Horford is is just not uh, moving well enough uh, defensively to really affect shots. Is it an issue that he's playing the four then? And would it be more sufficient than if he would play the five? Is, is that anything there? Because I know he doesn't want to play much center. You know, it, he it could be better because then he wouldn't be sort of in that mid-range dealing with the pick and roll high, high out high. I mean, it kind of doesn't matter because in today's game, the four and the five sometimes get sort of interchanged a little bit uh, for a lot of different teams. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't feel like that's really going to be the thing no matter what. It's just he's just not moving well enough. The teams are going to find him in those situations where they can get him to have to move. And, um, and, and so my take on it right now is that he's averaging, I think, 32 minutes a game and I think um, Olenek who is now who also moves much better I think Olenek on defense moves a lot better than Horford it's, it's, it's sadly right now the best part of his game sorry to interrupt you Olenek's best part of his with, game with, with how inconsistent his shot has been yeah well you know and he's that's a fine. sleeper defender Yes, he is. Like people don't notice, and that's worth part of the be part of the breakdown as well. Is that I want to show that you know he he also is very smart um, and had a terrific college coach who helped him learn defense as well. Um, and so I would like to see Olinick. I think that um, I think Horford should get less than thirty minutes a game. I think it wow. should be twenty nine minutes a game. Wow. And so that's like that's only three minutes less than he's getting now. And I think that Olinick should get those three or four extra minutes a game on the court. I think that might go a little bit of you know that might push that defensive rating down a little bit farther, and they might start figuring out a little bit better stuff of how to contain teams and stop them better. So that would be my first thing I would do right away. And your second thing you would do right away then? I feel like there's a lot <laughs> well, of things that you do at this point. That, that, yes, that's a big right. one, and that I, I, that is mind-blowing to me. And is that is that the – first off, actually, to, to go back, is that the Da Vinci code that you cracked, really, that you said, uh, by God, I figured this thing out? Yeah, although, wait, well, no, that was sort of what that was. But that, the thing I spe- was talking about the other day was uh, I think it was simply that taking Isaiah out of that of, of that five-man lineup that had the, the – No, you that's know, not cracking the Vinci code then. That's but that was not it. Was that, was that it? No. You know what? I'm, I'm Now I'm remiss because I feel like there was something else that I'm going to have to rack my brains and I'll, I'll put it in the video because, yeah, you know, this is my life. I spend so much time digging through these weeds that all of a sudden I get excited. I don't know why I didn't end up texting you the answer there. I would have had it written down. But uh, we'll figure it out, and maybe I'll hit me before we're done today. But um, without question, like, there's, there's, there's that kind of stuff happening um, as well. So, yeah, so the Olympic thing I think she needs to come up, and I feel like that's going to happen uh, throughout the season anyway as, you know, Zeller is now going to be exiled into the bench probably. They gave him a shot. It's not working. So uh, I would expect it to happen naturally anyway. Your other suggestions to Coach Stevens? Or let's stick with let's just I guess stick with the defense or one more time. Other suggestions? Okay, uh, let's see here. What else? Um, you know, that's that's the, the the big one, I suppose. I mean, I know that Rozier is getting less and less run as well, and what we're seeing here in front of our eyes is that uh, you know uh, Stevens has got like the the sculpture, the statue, and he's slowly whittling away into something that looks good. And um, so, really, I think that the, the biggest suggestion I would make, you know, it, it's not about X's and O's. What he's doing, it's simply about lineups. And he Jimmy's needs to and continue. Joe's. Not about X's and O's. It's about Jimmy's and Joe's. Yes, yeah, right. And so he simply needs to keep studying this because. It Again, it doesn't make some of these lineups don't make sense why they're as bad as they are, and um, and so that is 
that's what he's going to have to solve and stop, you know, stop looking at it on paper, I suppose, and, and as far as what it sounded like it looks good. Or start looking at the pictures of in his mind and really look at the numbers here because, um, you know, that's what's going to be issued. Now, you can't, like, not play Isaiah. He's going to be the guy, right? He's, he's the guy on offense. He makes them go there. Their offense is very good. So the only question now is it depends on, like, where, where do they think they want to get to? I mean, do they think they're going to have a shot at getting to the finals? Like, probably not, right? Uh, do they have a shot at getting to the conference finals? What, what do you think, Larry? 20%. 25 25%. I mean, I would, I'm safely going to say that they're going to be the 3C, which means that they would play, I would likely think Toronto is a 2C. That's just the worst matchup in the world for them. So I put the 20 to 25% in line with essentially an injury. If both teams were full strength, I'd probably give them, if I knew that both teams would be full strength in the Eastern Conference semifinals, my God, I think it's ten percent. They just don't match up well with Toronto whatsoever. So 20, well, yeah, twenty five percent. But Cleveland's got to be the worst matchup for them, right? I mean, like that's the well, worst. We're not even counting Cleveland. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> Toronto but, is still a pretty bad matchup for Boston. They the last two and a half years have been ugly. Yeah. Now, but I, you know, they, they would be playing the Milwaukee Bucks right now in the first round. Which, um, although I have, I would imagine the Bucks will not be anywhere near the six seed by the time the season's over. Oh, interesting. Over. I think they still have a positive differential as of this morning, which is I think only one of four teams in the Eastern Conference who do. Ah, well, that's interesting. The Bucks have a lot of really good pieces, and they're getting better and better. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if anybody's going to want to play them anyway in, in the um, in the playoffs. But again, they're going to probably be. I would say they're fifth or fourth easy, and that wouldn't wouldn't be in the bracket then if uh, the Celtics stayed in the third, which looks like that's going to happen. So, you know, that's the question: Are they going to build towards the future? You know, take their second round loss in the playoffs and, and feel good about that? Um, you know, yeah. Uh, do they then need to make a trade for somebody? Um, you know, that, that, that's another really great question because, you know, you, you'd want that, like, star, right? The guy who can get you, you know, 25 points a game. Well, guess what? They, they have that already, right? I was going to say, nah, you know, we're good. <laughs> we're all set. We'll take the second round and out. Yeah, of course. But they're going to be making a move if for another reason that logistically they almost have to due to the bird rights coming up on certain players. But, of course, the main primary reason is to continue the uh, progression of the franchise, too. Hopefully one day win a championship or championships. So, yes. Uh, you guys have enough, don't you? They're not mine. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, let, let like Phoenix have a few or something like that. They haven't had one. If they were willing to give us their weather, I'd consider it. Okay. Oh, wow. Yes. I, I've been to Boston in February. It's not pretty. Let's get back on track. Uh <laughs> what you brought up with Al Horford, I still think is still sort of res- it's still vibrating in my brain that they need to play Al Horford less. That is, I think, a big one. I'm really looking forward to the video coming out in your B-Ball Breakdown channel later today. It's youtubecom B-Ball Breakdown for for listeners. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So beginning of the year when Al Horford was out, uh, about seven or eight games concussion. Then he also missed a game in Miami. That everyone went. Not everyone. There's a knucklehead here in Boston who went crazy. But but whatever. He was out for. A few- handful of games and uh the defense struggled without him and the actual defense did struggle with him in the lineup but talk about really is just impact in general I like to think that offensively he's been exceptional on that end of the court just because just what he's added alone with his game and I think that just he's really opened things up for the shooters he's really opened things up with the ball movement he's contributed there mightily 
I'll sort of give you the floor, really, just to talk about his total impact of what you've seen. I guess we can talk a little offense, but if you have to be driven back to talking about the fact that he, you don't think he's at, he's negatively or slightly negatively impacting their defense. So, really, yes, Coach, please take the floor on Al Horford here. Well, you know, I love the Celtics offense. It's a really great space, really great movement. You know, it has a lot of the Warriors aspects to it where they get dribble handoffs on the top. And, you know, of course, Al Horford plays right into that because you can play high post and he's he can the pop out and get the shoot. He's the main What's that? The dribble handoff, Isaiah Thomas, he's the best one at that. He sets the best screens on the team. By, I think he sets some of the best screens in the, how I, I watch predominantly Celtics games, but I think he sets some of the best screens in the league. For sure. You know, he does He does do that. He knows how to use his body, get those guys open. Uh, you know, again, the offense really isn't the issue. It's top 10. Um, they do. They get good shots, you know, consistently. I mean, Avery Bradley, I've had to finally, like, accept. Like, he is a shooter now. It wasn't a thing for a while, and then he slowly had to convince me. And you know what? Now that he's coming off those screens and, and understands how the offense works, he is a legitimate outside shooter that you have to be concerned with uh, in a way that I would never want to get rid of him. You know, they, I hear them talking about, you know, wanting to include him in a trade. But, you know, he's probably the best defender on the wing, you know, in the league. And, uh, and now he's a bona fide shooter. So anyway, so getting back to Horford, though, I mean, yeah, he is a really good fulcrum. I think, uh, you know, the bottom line when you're looking at his, you know, the success rate, it's fair. It's fine. He's not like, you know, 90th percentile in the league in, in points per possession uh, of used. But he's he definitely helps that that offense work really well. And if we I, I call it up, I bet you I'll see in his on and off that it's probably the offense is better when he's on the floor versus when he's not. Um, so, you know, I, I have no problem with him on the offensive end. He does he does very nicely. He's, he's, he's moved. He's been able to blend in very well. The question then is the offense itself works so well that, like, does it really matter? Like, could they put Olenek in there and still not miss much of the beat? Or like any other kind of normal center? Like, maybe. He, his outside shooting, you know, for the most part, tends to give him a little bit of a leg up because he's pretty good at that. Um, but um, Not recently. <laughs> Yeah, uh, except for recently, yes. But, um, you know, it is there. And, and at the very least, the defense, uh, um, unless it changes in, in, the ne- in, the, you know, in the next coming months, the defense will honor that. They'll, they'll get out there and play him, and that opens up the basket area uh, for now. So, you know, that is still there. So, you know, I think he, he definitely helps the offense. But, um, but, again, the question then is, is does it weigh uh, on, the, on the defensive stuff uh, uh, too much? And, um, you know, that's what we're going to have to kind of see. That's why I like to, I just like to see him. But besides, he's, you know, I know he's only 30, but he's an, he seems like he's an old 30 to me. I don't know why. He just feels that way. So it's like, you know, he probably wouldn't mind just playing like that 29 and a half minutes a game, getting a little bit of extra rest, keeping him fresh. And then, hey, the playoffs, they can maybe amp that up a little bit. So you don't think really, it just seems that he's done so much for the ball movement. He's done so much. I, I guess I'm sort of overemphasizing what he's done. And maybe it's because I read a lot of, I know Adam Himmelsbach had a piece talking about how Jay Crowder, a lot of players just getting much more open shots. You're not really seeing that in your film breakdown. Let's do a little, you know, go ahead. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, and by the way, now that I have it up there, their offensive rating overall is 108.1. When he's on the court, it's almost 113. So there you go. It's a, it's a, it is a, it's a bump. When he's on the bench, it's 103. <laughs> so you can see that. So there's a there's a pretty big difference when he's on the court versus off. And uh, I mean, I guess I'm getting mesmerized by the ball movement itself 
that I'm sort of I, I guess I need to really isolate this on on how Horford is 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 contributing to that beyond anything more than like what the offense calls for, um, you know. So it's like you know. So so the bottom line is, I mean, he fits in really well. I mean, like we said, all the things that the offense already had built in, he he does very well and accentuates that. So for sure, I mean, his his influence is there. Um, you know, but then again, Isaiah also makes it easier for everybody because of his penetration. And, uh, you know, Bradley cuts well without the ball. And, you know, a cut off the ball uh, is almost like a drive because at least one other guy usually has to step over to kind of help out on that if he's open. And that opens up the next thing for somebody else. So I just think it's, you know, I think Brad Signets has got a nice, really f- smooth flowing, you know, uh, efficient offense overall. And, I, you know, and, and Horford is, you know, is a, is a nice cog of that. We can stick with the Horford theme because I know this is something that, that you've got on. And this is something that, of course, plenty of people here, either in Celtics Nation or anyone who follows, anyone who actually follows the NBA knows how bad of a rebounding team the Celts are. And sh- almost everyone then points to, oh, Al Horford's your big man. And he's given you seven to some rebounds. He's got a very mediocre rebounding rate. It's, re- it's actually been declining since he's been in Atlanta, since really my theory is he tore the pectoral muscle for the first time. But the rebounding issue, you look at the film as there's fundamentals in boxing out. I know it sort of jumps out at you, you know, just looking at the numbers alone, just how little of an impact Horford has on the glass. Now it's, I think it's a good time to talk about the rebounding coach. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, by the way, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one thing I was looking at, particularly when they had Crowder playing the small, fo- uh, the power forward and that small ball lineup that they thought probably would have been awesome, um, which isn't. Uh, the rebounding is, is the real key there. The other team is getting too many rebounds. And Horford is part of that. You know, if you look at his rebounding percentage overall, it's 11.1%. And, you know, it's not that much below the top, you know, the top player who is Amir Johnson at 12.2. So he's in that realm. What's that? That's not good for your top big men, I would like to think. Yeah, but and then okay, then you know you could try and you know make it look a little bit nicer because Avery Bradley is a good rebounder as well, and he gets actually the same amount, of, the same percentage as, as Al Horford uh, of the rebounds. So he kind of shores it up a little bit, I guess. But um, but yes, it, it is a problem, and I have to say, in the NBA with the athletes they have. You know, certainly block, blocking out is an important thing, but so is explosiveness and quickness and being able to get up and get the ball. And again, like we said earlier, that's not, you know, Horford's strongest suit right now. So, you know, some of the rebounds you're going to see are ones that he just, you know, are 50-50s that he, you know, uh, maybe a better athlete can get. And then he's not. And uh, and that's sort of another problem, which, OK, then goes back to the fact that, OK, he needs to then box out more and be even more uh, fundamental with the approach. But uh, sometimes it's a, it's an issue if you just can't cover all that ground uh, the way you need to and get back there. And that's what d- definitely teams are seeing that and attacking. And when they do do that small ball lineup with the uh, crowd or the power forward, they they attack the glass for sure. Do you see any just poor fundamentals at all? I know at the beginning of the season it looked like nobody was boxing out. There was a game in Washington. I thought it was, it was a it's it's amazing, I think, how much Amir Johnson, just how important he has become after with the beginning of the season. I felt like he was going to be a guy who would be out of the rotation in no time at all. That isn't the case at all. I feel like he's a pretty important player, which is not good because uh, he's someone who will have injury and age issues in his own right. But really going back to what I've been asking, do you see, when you watch the film, do you see just poor fundamentals possibly with some of their big men and just not boxing out? Or is that just me just sort of freaking out as a fan? 
Uh, I think it's a little bit of freaking out as a fan. I don't, I don't see anything that's egregious when I'm going through here and going, oh, Mike, what is going on here? What, why are they, you know, you know, I don't see that. I mean, you know, I, I see sometimes, you know, long rebounds. Uh, that, that is in my mind's eye right now and, like, things that get tipped out. And, you know, it's in the long run. So I, I think my, my biggest overall thing with the, uh, the defense, I almost feel like it will get better in the long run. I see what they're trying to do. And I see the shots that are being made, and I feel like with enough chances after 60, 70 games, those shots won't go in as often as they are. That's my impression. I feel like, you know, I kind of struggle on a lot of these and say, yeah, that's good defense. They, you know, they had the hand up or, you know, the ball just bounced weird and whatever. And eventually, you know, you have, at least you have to believe it, that it will turn around and get better. And we've seen a little bit of that anyway, right, with the, with the defensive rating going up anyway. But um, I think that the combination of the lineups adjustments and, uh, and just sticking with the plan uh, will get them better. Should be able to pat on that defensive number with this week January schedule uh, as we are in the midst of outside of this Toronto game coming up. But, Coach, actually, you know, we're going to go to commercial break. But real quick, do the Celtics finish in the top ten for defensive rating for, de- for defense? I just Redundant there. Top ten defense, <laughs> yay or nay, at the end of the year. Wow. Can they move up, what, 12 spots before the end of the year? No. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get that far. It's a long way to go. I kind of wanted to do a big, a big analysis of that to see at what point in the season do teams simply like there's just no hope to gain more than X amount of spots. And I, I can't believe that any team has got, has gained 10 spots in defensive rating or 12 spots with, uh, you know, what is it, 45 games left? About that. I, I, just, I couldn't see that happening. It could, but I, I, just, I doubt it. All right, hold it right there. We are here with Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown. You are listening to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Today's episode is being powered by Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron has become the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. With December upon us, it's now the holiday season, and Blue Apron makes the perfect holiday gift. Research shows that Blue Apron families cook together three times more often. This creates strong family bonds and actually saves money. Those who spend a lot at restaurants know it's super expensive. High-end grocery chains, fast food restaurants, buying for the whole family can become absorbent. With Blue Apron, you can spend under $10 per meal. In December, my personal menu will include braised cabbage with barley and glazed apples, Thai green coconut curry with sweet potato and jasmine rice, brown butter and chestnut gnocchi with Brussels sprouts, and pea shoot salad. And all that for just $10 per meal. Sound amazing? Well, today we are offering CLNS Radio listeners three free meals and free shipping. There's no risk involved and you will love how good it feels and tastes to create home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Treat yourself or a loved one this holiday season to Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Go to blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat to redeem your three free meals and free shipping today. Coach, you actually still have me tingling a little bit from your primary suggestion being that the Celtics defense may be struggling a little bit from actually playing Al Horford a few too many minutes. I know. You know, it's funny because, you know, he does have block shots, uh, two, two per game. Um, although it does remind me of, like last year, I think it was with Paul Gasol, who I thought was a terrible defender, uh, but did get block shots. 
And so the two that he would get in a game didn't always overcome all the times he's getting blown by or getting beat by his man. Now, that's not what's happening with Horford, uh, per se, because I do think that Horford is, you know, doing a terrific job uh, trying to uh, defend. Uh, It's just not happening. It's, you know, the teams are still scoring on him. So, um, you know, there are trade-offs here. And I know... Uh, I know it might sound crazy, but I, again, I don't know if Horford would even argue getting a couple extra minutes of rest, getting keeping him fresh, uh, and, and any other way for me. If we're talking about defense, there's the only way you know I, w- I would like to see Olinick get a few more minutes, and so that was the only way I could figure it out. I guess you could take some of Amir Johnson's minutes, but I'm not even sure Johnson's playing that much either. Bizarro world. Celtics defense could be fixed a little bit if they actually played a few more minutes. Of Kelly Olinick over Al Horford, but we were. Talking right before we went to break, primarily about the offensive end of the court, uh, I'd say rousing grades of success for the Celtics offense universally, both inside the organization, outside the organization, me, and even just outside, outside you, way out on the West Coast. But sort of what I asked for, maybe possibly any advice for Brad Stevens defensively or, or any solutions, is there really anything you could say do this on the F- offensive end of the court, really, or is just just you know this thing is uh, absolutely. Cooking. I agree. I, I, I again, I, I'm all in on Brad Stevens. I think he's a, he's one of the best coaches in the league. I love how they uh, generate their offense. It's a lot of great movement and passing, attacking on the catch, which I'm really big on. None of this like kind of catch, jab, step, jab, step. You know, Carmelo Anthony stuff anymore. Um, and uh, you know, they they really utilize the the the, the low post with Howford down there nicely, uh, and, to, and also generate shots from the outside. So, I, I again, I, I really enjoy watching them play offense. It's really exciting. Um, and then also in transition as well, they do they do nicely there. So, um, I have, you know, I can't really say anything wrong with that. And, you know, because it's, not, it's seventh in the league right now, they're certainly right there. Um, that, that Who knows? That might even creep up a little bit more uh, as they – you know, solidify their their lineups better, and um, you know that, that I'm looking forward to watching them. I think they're going to be a, a hard out in the playoffs because of that. Are you surprised that the Celtics were experimenting with lineups this, uh, so much earlier in the season, considering we would like to think that they had so much figured out from the last year and a half, and then they brought in Horford in the preseason. He seemed to fit in seamlessly. Yet here we are, well into the new year, and they're still sort of tinkling with lineups a little bit to see what works and what doesn't, which usually established teams. Kind of don't do. I that might be anecdotal, but it feels like they kind of. Are you surprised, basically, at the amount of experimentation from Stevens thus far? You know, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not surprised because I think you know, if I'm not mistaken, the Celtics started out that, uh, their record was has been up and down, right? Is that, is that fair enough to say? Yeah, they're th- 13 and 12, and then they've played much better recently. But they've been yeah. they were around 500 a lot. They had some. Runs where right. they got about four, three or five games over, and then it would fall back to 500. But now, right. now it seems a little bit better. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I did a video on Horford's fit, and I, and I so I'm not surprised at all how that was going to work and what they were running on offense because that all looked, yeah, that was going to work out great no matter what. I feel like that's part of what Stevens does the best is teaching, and he was able to bring these guys in and show them exactly what they need to do, what their role is. Here are the shots you're going to get in that sort of Popovich way where guys like, you know, when Danny Green shows up to the Spurs and all of a sudden he's really great because they know how to teach and put him in the right spots. Same here with the, with the Celtics, and I think that, um, you know, Isaiah Thomas is a really good testament to that. I mean, he's just destroying it, and they've been able to figure out a way to let him be as creative as he needs to be and as aggressive as he needs to be uh, without really disrupting the team. And um, so, yeah, there's, there, I, I, I'm not surprised at all that when you look at the, uh, the pieces on tape on paper for the, the, the offense, at least, 
uh, without question, they had good pieces that could blend in. I have a few more bullet points that I've been writing down. They're not planning to ask you, but before I let you go, because you talked about a few things. First off, you obviously, let's stick with Stevens, and then I just want to transition. I want to talk a little about Avery, or let you talk about Avery Bradley, but you, you think as highly of Stevens as you do. And no one seems to have a negative opinion of him. What Just for fun, I guess, what do you feel like is his place in the NBA of NBA coaches? Like second best coach, third best coach? Not oh, jeez. Top you know, five, right? I mean, and then you got to talk about like maybe like the, the coaching job he's doing like this year because like you know Spolstra was probably a top five coach for for whatever, and then this year they don't look so good, and, and now all of a sudden I you think why that, maybe that would he's be. not. I can't. I, What's I, that? I, I can't figure out why that would be. <laughs> well, you know, you lose weight, I suppose, but still, I like their team. They have a lot of good. They have they have players that kind of remind me of the Celtics a little bit, like you know, young, good core. So, um, but you no, know, Brad Stevens has to be considered in the top five, top four, top three. I, I got to look at the list, really. You know, I guess Popovich is the top of that. Steve Kerr is also there, uh, but Brad Stevens is right there. And by the way, one great way to look at that is, is the after timeout plays. Um, and when you look at how they do, they're ranked right now on he synergy. Seems to, he seems to be the master. He was high to last year. Go ahead. Yeah, they're they're ranked second right now, and they're always they always run the best sets. You know, maybe you know, Steve Kerr and him are competing for the best sets out of bounds. I mean, they're always really clever, really well executed. And what you have to remember though is is you get like I don't know, I got to look maybe eight or nine or ten of those a game. And um, that if you if you execute on those and you score on you know seventy percent of those, I mean those are easy free points. That that could be the, the difference between winning and losing a game. And not everybody you know focuses on those enough. And without question, you know he's really helping his team with those. Well, you do. Well, you-, you brought that up. Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to get because earlier you were raving about Avery Bradley. Just just raving about him, and and I, I <laughs> sort of fall in your boat as well. The the only like. Like glass half empty, Bostonian. Oh, it's twenty degrees outside. To look at it as, oh my God, the Celtics are kind of relying on him too much. Where would they be without his rebounding? Where would uh, is is his defense suffering in that he's got to carry a little bit of a load offensively, and then he's carrying much of a load in terms of rebounding, asking as much as you do out of a guard. So they're relying him too much. I guess if you want to even go into further detail about what you were saying about Avery Bradley earlier, because you were saying as much positive things about Avery Bradley as I've heard anybody say in basketball circles. Wow. Well, you know, I've always loved his defense, and he's a, just a bulldog. He's tenacious. He gets around screens as well as anybody, and he's got length and he's got bounce, which is great because if you have to contest shots, you need to be able to get off the ground a little bit, and it's not enough to kind of put your hand up and hope he misses uh, for, for the guys that he's playing. And here's what's interesting about that is we look at defensive stats, and I really don't trust many of them at all, and here's a good reason. When he's on the court, the defensive rating of the team is 109.5, and when he's off the court, it's 95.9. So you look at that and say, well, geez, they're much better defensively when he's off the court, which is nonsense. And I think the reason why that these stats say that is because he is busy guarding the best scorer of every team. And we have to remember, you can play the best defense in the world. If you don't block a shot, the guy can still score. And that happens. And it doesn't matter that it doesn't take away anything from his defensive abilities. So you can't let people look at guys uh, who, who might have these. You know, we've seen it with DeAndre Jordan. We've seen it with Hassan Whiteside. We've seen it sometimes where the defense looks like it's better when they're on the bench. And it's simply because these guys have their hands full. They're working as hard as they can. And they're doing it better than anybody else. But it just so happens that darn ball goes in sometimes no matter what you do on defense. And, um, and, that, and he is doing it all. 
I got wrote down another name. I would, I didn't mean to touch upon this too. It, it, you keep going because I, I, you know, he, I, we haven't really mentioned Marcus Smart's name. And a few weeks ago, I had Austin Ains on this show. Now here, I'll just give you a real synopsis about this real quick. Celtics are huge on Marcus Smart. They love him, quote unquote, you know, intangible guy. You see it, of course, when you watch it. I see it. But once again, I guess I should ask you just general floor thoughts on on Smart before we start thinking about wrapping this up. Yeah, I mean, love him on defense. His offense is kind of, uh, you know, and, and it, getting I better. Everyone... Have you seen any improvement there? He changed the form of his shot, so we knew that take time. His shot selection's gotten a lot better off the last month. But you, getting better from what you see when you sort of check in on the Celtics here and there with these breakdowns, or no? Yeah, I mean, he's a lot better than like say, you know, last year. Is that's what we're talking about? Like, there seems to be some improvement. A, a quick check on his shooting I, I, before I say anything else here uh, has him at. Um, let's see here. You know, uh, yeah, 42 and a half from two, and, you know, he's not shooting well from three, and he's shooting four of them a game, which is, you know, that's, that's probably that's gone too down many recently, though, thank God. It has, that has that? Gone, now that he's been playing on the ball more, that has gone down a little bit recently. He's taken better shots, though. So, but All right, good. Because, yeah, if you're, if you're shooting below 30% from a three, you shouldn't be taking four a game, and if that's going to go down, then that's, that's going to be good for him. Um, you know, it's just a thing. It, you know, some guys aren't shooters, and his mechanics – you know, are okay. Um, I got to really study those, actually. I'll have to do that maybe in a video. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he's going to make his name on just being a cog in that offense, getting the ball moving, uh, you know, and then being a lockdown defender like he is in toughness. Uh, but, you know, I think if he can figure out his place a little bit better and if Brad Stevens can kind of adjust to where he starts in the offense so that he is just maybe getting some more catch and shoots or something more clear than, than having to create off the dribble, then he'd be a lot, then he'll actually improve as well. Okay, continuing on these bold points that I, that I wrote down throughout our discussion, uh, just because I, I do want to get this out of you. And uh, we talked, uh, you talked, excuse me, you talked a lot about Isaiah Thomas Rowley because, of course, we brought him up. So we, we, we know of his defense. Of course, we know of his offense and how much important he's been for the Celtics there this year. And this is, once again, just goes back. Fun question. His place in the NBA, there's, the guard position is loaded in the NBA. It's, that's a conversation in its own right. I actually said here last week with Kyle Draper, I think it's a lock he makes an all-NBA team. That is tough. So you know of his defense, know of his offense. Give me his place in the NBA. Uh, I mean, you know, it's funny because this whole thing started with me and Isaiah uh, when I did a video after their rookie year, the title being, is Isaiah Thomas better than uh, Kyrie Irving? And at that time, remember, Kyrie was picked first and and Isaiah was picked last in in the draft. And uh, that sparked a huge thing. I mean, like Isaiah responded on Twitter, so did uh, Kyrie. Uh, and I actually was able to meet Isaiah and like hang out with him out of that whole thing, which is really cool. Um, and so, you know, he's always going to get the short end of the stick, right? He's a small guard. They're always going to try and like sort of poo-poo whatever he's doing. But the bottom line is he's an elite scorer. The guy is averaging 28 a game from his size. It's amazing what he's doing. Uh, and he's pretty uh, efficient with it at 45%. Like, I would dare say he's not in an Iverson mode. He he makes more shots than that, and he he exists in the offense a little bit better. I've when been they need saying him. that here for weeks. It's all Iverson let his team to the finals. I was like, well, hold on. So I want you to continue on that. Please emphasize what you're about ready to say compared with this with this Isaiah Thomas and Iverson uh, little. Yeah, no, I, I mean, listen, I was never the, the biggest fan of Iverson. Neither am I. I just thought he took a lot of bad shots, and it's sort of like in that Russ argument where, well, his teammates are so bad that he has to, and 
I just I, I get wary as a coach when you have a player. I don't and I don't know if Russ feels that way. Or I, I'm assuming Iverson did feel that way, but that I just get wary. That was not by circumstance. I'm interrupting you with that. that was not by circumstance with Iverson. He never really could work with that second guy as you saw in Denver and as really Larry Brown was. He was and now I'm getting really off topic. But when he was uh, accumulating that team together in the late '90s in Philadelphia, it was built primarily around Iverson, as we were talking about earlier, with getting all those defensive-minded guys like Tyrone Hill, Eric Snow, George Lynch, Matumbo, Ratliff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. Uh, now really going off so I guess we go yeah well and that was the point I mean I think that they said okay he's not going to adjust when he plays so let's just get him guys who aren't going to care if they, if they don't shoot it and doesn't play defense I guess um but again uh you know the idea that um that Isaiah is in that room I don't think he plays that way I feel like he's he's more efficient either way and takes better shots um and so the guy has to be an all-NBA player. I'd imagine one of those three teams he's going to make. Um, I have to imagine he's going to make the all-star team. That's not going to be – I mean, I, I know Lowry is probably in, right? Um, Lowry, DeRozan, uh, Eastern Conference guards. He'll make the all-star team with the guards. It's really the West. That's where the all-NBA all, that's where the all team It really comes out West. you got Chris Paul, Curry, Clay Thompson, Russ, Russ. Harden. James Harden, that's five yeah, guys. Right. Damian Lillard, that's six. And then you go East, Lowry, DeRozan, that's that's eight. So right now you go that's Isaiah, true. that is nine. So the, the, the All-NBA, it, it's it, – but listen, we got verification from you in terms of what I've been saying here for the last month. But this sort of just – this is a fun thing. Hot first take question that we were just sort of, you know, reeling off all the great guards in the NBA. Is you could This, this is almost sort of the, the last question to get you out of here. Is this the best set of guards in NBA history? It might be. My feeling is it's probably the deepest, top heavy. There's always been, you know, you go back the last. Remember, you know, Kobe and uh, McGrady and Iverson. Of course, we're not fans of. But I actually did look back though. Late '80s, you had a peak Magic winning an MVP over Michael Jordan, who was averaging a triple double one year and then like 38 and eight another year. Drexler, Stockton, Kevin Johnson. So I think that like. The top of the charts, that's the best. But depth-wise, we just ripped off nine guards, and there's going to be a few really good players who won't make the All-NBA team. Yeah. No, I, I think you're probably right. I don't think uh, – I think if you go pound for pound, uh, the guard position, yeah, is as tough as it's ever been. The funny thing is, is I was looking at, like, the shooting guard list, and I felt like you can match them up with the point guards and kind of go pound for pound as well there. The problem now is Harden is not a shooting guard, right? Now he's a point guard. And, um, you know, suddenly, you know, guys like Wes Matthews who were on their way are, you know, got hurt and they're not in that discussion anymore. But either way, if you want to look at guards in general, then, then yeah, I'd have to imagine. Like, you know, yeah, there, there's – when you're going, you know, 15, 16 deep of guys that, like, have a somewhat legitimate shot at either being All-NBA or, like, maybe an, an All-Star bid, uh, that's that's deep and that's good. And I think it's also a testament to the skill levels that we've seen as they've improved generation over generation. Um, you know, certainly the dribbling that we see now, they didn't it didn't exist in the 80s. They didn't do that yeah, stuff. Yeah, outside shooting didn't even it. exist 10 years ago. Right. Well, here, okay, that's another beef of mine that we can have another discussion about later. But they had the shooters. Time. <laughs> you know, guys like that could shoot back then. They just didn't understand that they needed to, and the offenses weren't designed to get those shots, and they only took them at the end of quarters or when they were down by a lot. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, Eddie Johnson would have been a great shooter now if he played in the NBA today. Would have been He would have taken seven threes a game. He would have made 40% of them, and, you know, that, that's a good example. Good friend of this show, one of the most famous shots in NBA playoff history. I know, well, you know which what I'm referring to. I got a really important question. Nobody be looking at me like that, like you, like you're, you know what shot I'm talking about when he was Eddie the Johnson. 
The Rockets against oh, the. Uh, the I'm, I'm sorry, I'm thinking against the Phoenix. The okay, the no, Rockets. no, he was at the uh, the Rockets at the end of his career. That was that's the shot that uh, I, I have a good recollection of. How old was I? I think I was in sixth grade when that was going down. Uh, that, but um, back to the Celtics. Okay, I got a really important question for you. This is a response in the Reddit forums. I posted your video there of when you broke down Isaiah Thomas's 50 points, so you can ch- check it out. It's also up on the CLNS Radio YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. We thank you very th- for that gift, Coach. I should officially formally oh, thank you for th- that. Th- there's more where that came from. <laughs> but I, I thank you so much, and we're looking forward to so much of the work that you're going to be doing with CLNS, and I, I do want to talk about that going forward as we start wrap things up. I, but I saw a reply from RLS012 who wants to know, what is the name of the instrumental you used on your Isaiah Thomas 52-point breakdown? I just saw you like, throw your eyes over the air. So the name of the song that I use in my Isaiah Thomas breakdown is called Fighting for Freedom, and it's by Anno Domini Beats, a great place where they have really great uh, music. You can check them out on YouTube as well, uh, but it's called Fighting for Freedom. It's epic, right? Okay, so this that allows us if we're going to be plugging like just random people, we should really plug something that makes good business sense, which oh, is okay. of course well, you. I would have to say, uh, first off, uh, your podcast available on the CLNS Radio mobile app. So we're going to talk about that, but we should also do really just talk about B-ball breakdown going forward. Uh, the YouTube channel, one of the biggest YouTube channels covering the NBA. Really, you could talk. I say your anything, your website. Talk really about anything here as we sort of get you out of here on the Sunday morning. Well, uh, you know, I mean, as far as what we are doing over here, we're just, we just break down video of the games to, to explain what's really going on in the court because I think too many of these media members will just sort of spout out stuff that's not true. And so oh, when I hear are, on the radio – Oh, they never do things like never. that. So, you know, and so when I see that – or and maybe it's not even like they're intentionally not true. They just don't see the game the way what's really happening. And it means – yeah, the memes get out there on Twitter, and everyone starts to accept it. And I'm trying to, you know, shine a light into that dark abyss and explain really why that's not like. For instance, when I did the Isaiah Thomas versus Kyrie Irving thing, no one had even heard of Isaiah Thomas. He was toiling away in Sacramento, and that helped get him more in the national conversation, which is where he is now, which is I'm really ex- proud of. And the, those are great examples. And you know, the big, the biggest shame I think of uh, B-ball breakdown this year has been we haven't really done enough Celtics content. And when you have a guy like Brad Stevens, who is a fantastic coach, we should be spotlighting that more. So this is my way of like, you know, f- forcing myself to get in there uh, and break down more Celtic stuff because it's, it's hashtag basketball. Oh, so that's a lead. And I guess you will be doing more Celtics. It seems like that's what you're ready to do. Of course, you already got the video coming out later today, this Sunday morning, uh, or when everyone in was listening, by the time some people listen to this, it probably will be already out youtube.com slash bball breakdown. But is that a, uh, you may be teasing a lot of the list listeners of this show that, oh, we're not doing enough Celtics talk, and I, I think I should be doing more. Well, yeah, I, here's, my, here's my plan, and I was talking with some weird guy named Nick Gelso. I don't know. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. I do things on my own here at CLNS. I'm just... Okay, uh, well... I'm, we're t- I'm, I'm a renegade. <laughs> we were talking about grabbing highlights from, you know, once a week from a game, and I'll just break those down, take the top five plays of a certain game, and put my spin on it. So it'll be a highlight, but I'll explain exactly what happened in that play and how they're able to get the highlight, uh, you know, quickies. But I want to try and get those done, you know, maybe once a week and, and have them up on CLNS as well. Coach Nick, B-Ball Breakdown, bballbreakdown.com, youtube.com slash bballbreakdown. The podcast, B-Ball Breakdown, available where? Everywhere, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you want to go, it's there. Find it on my Twitter feed. (laughs) And the CLNS Radio mobile app. And, of course, his Twitter feed. Follow the man on Twitter at uh, 
Hmm, forgot. I made it easy for you. B-ball breakdown. Coach Nick, thank you so much for joining us here on Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Thank you so much, of course, for doing that Celtics breakdown. It is available on his YouTube channel. If you're listening very early on this Sunday morning, give it a couple hours. If you are listening at the beginning of your work week on Monday, it'll probably be up there once again, youtube.com slash bball breakdown. If it's not out yet, here's the easiest way to do it. Just subscribe, and it will be delivered right to your YouTube channel. But Coach Nick, thanks so much for joining us on episode number 191 of Celtic Speed. I'm in. Wrap it up. Music for this show was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR. Facebook, Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Once again, thank you to Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown and CLNS Radio for joining us here on today's Celtics Beat. Today's sponsors were Audible, Audible.com slash Try Now for a free audiobook alongside a 30-day trial period. And Blue Apron for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Justin Poole, and founder of the network Nick Chelsea, myself, the executive producer and host. I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.